Welcome to the King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. We might have start on time. Let me begin by saying if today you expected Mary and Joseph and Dave in the stable and all those kinds of things, that's going to be next week. Um, we're going to be kind of setting the scene for um, that wonderful, wonderful event, which we will um, which we will do next week. And somebody said, should I bring in my, my nativity set? And I said, if you bring it in, we'll show you all the things that are wrong with it. <laughs> so maybe you don't want it. Maybe you don't want to bring that in. Um, let's begin with, with, a word, with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks and praise for the blessings that we have from you. We thank you that you did indeed send the Messiah, the reminder to us of the love that you have for us, and the love that you have for all people, and that you, all, you want all people to know you as a loving and caring and forgiving God. Be with us this morning as we discuss your word and to see the, the message, the preliminary message of Christmas. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, if I had said to you that, um, you know, where does the Christmas story begin, um, most of us would probably say it begins in, in Nazareth. Um, and it begins with the Gospel of, you know, Matthew or Mark, Luke or Luke. Um, hello, Pastor. And I guess what I want to what I want to say what I want to say to you is that um, the Christmas story um, doesn't begin in Nazareth. Um, and in fact, in, in some ways, as, as we'll see next week particularly, um, the, the, Christmas, the, the Christmas story wasn't even of primary importance to the, to the, early, to the early church. Um, if it wasn't for Matthew and Luke, we wouldn't have any Christmas pageants or anything like that. If we started with just, with just Mark and John... Um, we would just hop into our Lord's, hop into our Lord's, our Lord's life. So, what, what I want to do is begin where the Christmas story really begins, um, and I and I and I and I say this um, so that you have an idea of what the situation was when the Christmas account takes place, what the situation was politically, and what the situation was um, uh, theologically, what the world was like when the Christ, when the Christ was born. Yeah, go ahead, Kirby. What I, what I want to say then is that the Christmas story really begins in Genesis chapter 1. Um, 
if you turn to, to Genesis 1, there's a word that is used um, over and over and over again in that first chapter of Genesis. You find it in, in verse 4, you find it in verse um, 10, you find it in verse... 12, you find it in verse 18, you find it in verse um, 21, you find it in verse 25, and you find it in verse 31. What's the word you see over and over and over again? The very, very first chapter in Genesis. Good. That's, that's the one I wanted. It was good. Okay. Um, in fact, so when God when God created our world, when God initial, initial creation, He said it was good. It was good. It was good. And then at the very end, after He created man, He says it was very, very good. Very good. Um, perfect. Perfect creation. Um, in order to give you some, some background, then, the very first 11 chapters of Genesis, you get this picture. You know, how often have we seen um, on news broadcasts um, the result of a tornado? You see, the, you see the picture of the wonderful town, the suburbs, and then after the tornado... It is just devastated and, and, blown, and blown apart. Um, this is the picture, I believe, that you get in Genesis um, 1, through, 1 through 11. You get the picture of it was good. It was perfect. It was, it was very, very, very good. The perfect community. And then what you see in the following chapters up through Genesis chapter 11 is that perfect creation of God's just totally destroyed and blown and blown apart. Um, I'm using this, these um, overheads from a course called Crossways. And, um, you know, how do you picture, how do you picture God? And the, the illustrator pictures God this way with a circle and the arrows going out from it, that um, God is a God is eternal, and that the qualities that God has are always outgoing. He is loving. He is forgiving. He's kind. He's gracious. Those are the qualities that that God that God has, and that's the the picture of the picture of God that you'll see frequently when I use these when these illustrations um, come. In the, and in the Bible, when, God's, when, when the Bible says that man was created in God's image, it doesn't mean that we look like God. It means that we were created with those qualities. Graciousness, love, kindness, caring. God's creation was, was perfect. Um, then in chapter 3 of Genesis, you see that those qualities of God are turned in on himself, and that was sin. And we see then in those first 11 chapters of, first 11 chapters of Genesis, you see that sin entered the world, and sin, first of all, destroyed the relationship between God and man. It destroyed the relationship between man and woman. 
Sin came into the world and destroyed the relationship between brother, brother, Cain and Abel. You have the horrendous story of the Noah story with the cosmic kind of mishap with heavenly beings and all. That relationship is destroyed between heaven and earth. And then finally, with on the Tower of Babel, the relationship between nations are destroyed as the nations are dispersed from, from God. Um, this was a, a picture of um, what, is, what has really happened, and, it's, and, I, and I believe it's, the, it's, it's the, really the story of, of the scriptures um, in those first 11 chapters of Genesis. You have the sin is the fall of man, God's judgment was death, but then there was the grace God provided for man. Um, you have the sin of murder between the brothers. The judgment was expulsion from the garden. But there was then the sign of grace. The grace was the, the mark put on um, uh, you know, Cain's forehead to protect him. In, in the, um, the Noah account, the sin was that it's horrendous, whatever it is. We don't even know. God's judgment was the flood. And the grace was Noah and, and, and the, the rescue there. And then finally, in chapter 11, in chapter 11 and 12 of Genesis, the sin was the tower of the tower of Babel. God's judgment was the dispersal of the nations of the, of the world. Grace is Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abraham, "Abraham, I'm going to give you many descendants, and your descendants." are to be a blessing to the nations of the world. Um, in other words, Abraham's descendants were, their role was to reverse what happened at the Tower of Babel, to bring the nations of the world back, back to knowing God as their Lord, as, 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 their, as, their, as, their, as their God. The whole rest of the Bible is the account of Abraham's descendants in how they failed to do how they failed to do that. In the very first paragraph there, then I think that I hopefully that sums up what I just said. It, say, it says we see God's perfect creation systematically being destroyed. Boom. The purpose of Genesis 1 through 11 is to put Abraham and his descendants at the very center stage of history. They would be the means through which God would work to bring the world back to him. Israel was to be God's instrument to make that happen. What we see then is the, in the scriptures is how Israel failed to be the light to the nations of the world to bring the nations of the world back to God and to, and to in some way, I'm going to say, restore that original, that original creation. And um, if you just turn, just real quickly, to um, Exit, um, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, here, God is saying to the children of Israel... Um, what he wants, what he wants them to do, and reminding them of, of, of their role to, to be the, the light to the Gentiles, to so that so that the Gentile nations will acknowledge him as, as God. Um, Deuteronomy four. If somebody would read, just starting in verse six. 
as God says to God says to Israel, talking about his talking about his decrees and his laws and, and how he wants them to act and behave. You must observe them diligently, for this will show your wisdom and discernment to the peoples, who when they hear these all these statutes, they will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and discerning people. For what other great nation has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is whenever we call to him? And what other nation has statutes and ordinances just as this entire law that I am setting before you today? Okay. Um, Israel, again, their, their original role was to be the instrument that God was going to use to, again, bring nations back under his, under his domain and acknowledge him as Lord and is, as God. The whole Bible, the whole rest of the Bible is the account, I'm going to say a bit of failure to do this, and I, I know I'm skipping a whole lot of, a whole lot of stuff here, but um, we're going to see that Israel was anything but um, that, anything but a light to the world. And I picked up a, just a, a couple of things. Um, God sent his prophets to Israel over and over again to try to get them to shape up and to be the people that he wanted them to be, that light to the nations. Um, and I, I picked out a couple of things as, so we can just see what's happening a little bit in Israel. Turn to, if you want to just turn to Jeremiah. Um, and I, I'm, I just picked up some of these things, um, and we don't need to, to go to all of them. And I, I don't know who typed this. I guess I did, but it's uh, Jeremiah 25, starting in verse 4. God sent his prophets to Israel, please shape up and be the people I want you to be. And they needed shaping up. Listen, somebody, if somebody would read starting in verse 4 of Jeremiah 25. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophets, saying, Turn now, every one of you, from his evil way and evil deeds, and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from of old and forever. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them, or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. Then I will do you no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Okay. And again, we could go we could look at any of the prophets. One one prophet that I really like is Amos, because he's so um, graphic um, as to the, the sins of the the sins of the people. Um, if you can find him, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. Um, look at Amos 2, and, and we're just going to get a little bit of a flavor of, of what was going on with this nation of Israel. Um, Amos 2, look at verse um, 6, 7, and 8. If, again, somebody could read that. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals. They who trample the head of the poor into dust of the earth and push the afflicted out of the way. Father and son go into the same girl. 
so that my holy name is profane. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God they drink wine bought with fines they impose. Okay, look at chapter chapter 4 of, of um, Amos, chapter 4, verse 1. I'm sure this endears God as he talks about the, the women in Samaria. Chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to have Mary read that. Listen to this, you cows of Bashan. How would you like to be called that? <laughs> okay. Uh, grazing on the slopes of Samaria, you women, uh, and mean to the poor, cruel to the down and out, insolent and pampered, you demand of your husbands, bring us a tall, cool drink. Okay. And then verse 2, the Sovereign Lord has sworn by His holiness, the time will come when you will be taken away with, with um, hooks, fish hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. Um, look at uh, chapter 5, verse 11. Somebody just read that again. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built these houses of hewn stone, but you have not you shall not dwell in them. You have plant have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. Keep going. Uh, for I know how many of uh, for I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take the bride, and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such time, for it is an evil time. Okay. And then chapter 6, starting in verse 4, he describes, again, Israel, you lie on, you know, you lie on waterbeds, he doesn't say that, and you lounge on your couches, you dine on choice lands and fatted calves, you listen to your stereos, you drink wine by the bowlfuls, you use the finest deodorants and aftershave lotions. (laughs) Um, Therefore, you will be the first to go into exile. In other words, when you read the prophets, and I just want to give you a flavor of, uh, you know, a flavor of that, Israel was being anything but the light that would draw the nations of the world to them. And God basically sent the basically sent the prophets to Israel, you know, shape up and become and be the people I have called you to be. And if you don't, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna destroy you, basically, is, is what he is what he is saying. A little bit of just just a little bit of history. Um, after Solomon, you have you have King Saul, you have King David, and I guess what I will say about King David, under King David, Israel has, had reached its peak, and this will come out in a little bit, a little bit later this morning. Um, under King David, Israel had reached its peak. Its borders had been expanded to the largest they had ever ever been. Um, David was victorious in battle. The people were the people were prosperous. Things were really good for Israel during the reign of King David. Under his son Solomon, things begin to go down. And after Solomon dies, Israel then is divided basically into two parts. There's the northern kingdom, 
and the southern kingdom. And I get, and what I want to say, to begin with, the prophets um, began speaking to the northern kingdom and said, you folks better shape, better shape up. If you don't, I'm going to send the Assyrians in to destroy you. And so in 721, the Assyrian nation came into the northern kingdom. And I, I liken it this way, the way when, when Assyria conquered a foreign country, what they did was they would take the, and I, I don't know how to say this, um, the good and prosperous and well-to-do inhabitants, put them in a sieve, and sprinkle them all around in other countries that they had conquered. And when they conquered another, other countries, they would sprinkle some folks into, you know, into the northern kingdom too. So what you had then in the northern kingdom was um, when they intermarried, you didn't have pure Jews anymore. You had mixed-blooded everything. This is why the Samaritan, and this was the eventual... Um, the eventual uh, origin of the Samaritan nation. They were not full-blooded Jews. But the northern kingdom then is gone. They're just just all over, all over the place. A number of years later, 580, 86, 89, whatever, um, the Babylonians had defeated the Assyrians, and God's message then to the southern kingdom was... You saw what I did to the northern kingdom. I told them if they didn't shape up, they were going to be destroyed by the Assyrians. Folks, you guys in the southern kingdom, if you don't shape up, I'm going to allow the Babylonians to come in and destroy and just take you into captivity. The southern kingdom didn't shape up. The Babylonians came in and took the folks from the southern kingdom. The only difference being was in the northern kingdom, the people were just scattered all over the place. Um, in the southern kingdom, they were picked up like in a front loader, picked up as a group, and brought into captivity in Babylon. What would have been the difference then between what happened to the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom? Eventually they can return. Eventually, but what were they able to maintain? Okay, they were, as, as a group in Babylon, they were able to maintain their language, they were able to maintain their dress, they were able to maintain mm. their customs, they were able to maintain their identity as, you know, as Jews. Um, maybe not unlike what happened to, happens to immigrants here. You had, you know, I grew up in New York City, you had... You know, you had Little Italy, you had Chinatown. The people there you know, would come and they could maintain their identity. But if you had a, um, a Chinese person or an Italian person or an Irish person and just stuck in one little town in the Midwest, they would never have been able to maintain and it. they do so, that so they can return to their home country eventually? Well, what happens, yes. And what happens was <laughs> then, so they are in this group in Babylon as a group. And then, they, and then the prophets, there's, there's some wonderful pictures there that God is going to restore you. You are going to return to Jerusalem. You're going to return to Jerusalem. Um, you know, the dry bones uh, picture that you're going you're gonna to return. And so the Babylonians eventually lose power. The, the Persians under Cyrus defeat the Babylonians. 
And the Persians, uh, Cyrus says, these people can return to Jerusalem. And many, many of them, many of them did. The problem was that when they returned to Jerusalem, um, you know, they, some of the pictures in Scripture are very, very glamorous, and it's going to be wonderful returning to Jerusalem. But when they did, they got back there, and they found that the temple had been destroyed, the villages had been ruined, the place was, the place was a mess, basically. And this is, again, what I said in that Roman numeral 5. Um, in 1939, the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians. The captives were able to return to Jerusalem. They were found, um, they were found as a, they found a mess in Jerusalem. The temple, the land, the villages lay in ruins. This is not at all what they were expecting. And then, again, just, just to simplify this, I, I just want to give you an idea of what... Um, what it was like at Christmas when Jesus is born. Basically, for the next 500 years, Israel is under the thumb of foreign empires. They're under the thumb of the Persians. They're then under the thumb of the Greeks. And then they're under the thumb of the Romans. Um, this is what, they're, what it's like for them when Jesus is, is born. I said, much like today, when this was particularly when they're under the, under the thumb of, of Rome, um, soldiers walked the streets of Jerusalem, only they were not the 19-year-old Israelis with M16s, they were Roman soldiers um, called to police the city of, the city of David. Um, I, went to Jeru I went to Israel in, I guess it was the early 80s, the first time I went there, and it, it really shook me up to see 19-year-old boys and girls dressed in uniforms carrying, I guess I'm saying M16s, I have no idea if that's what it was, um, just all over the place, in the airports, in the streets. These, the, and, and see, that wasn't anything we experienced here in the United States at that time. Now we have them in our airports and all over the place, too. But here, these young kids... Um, marching up and down the streets, all, no matter where you were, you saw these, these kids in uniform carrying these rifles, and this is a whole other world um, you know, to them. And, and it just as, this is just as an aside, I, I remember taking a group over there, how, how Israel was so far ahead of other countries in terms of terrorism. I took a group, we had a group of 20, and as, we, as we're getting on the plane or pre-boarding, um, I, as the leader, first of all, was grilled. Um, they first, I remember the first thing they asked is, you know, how many are in your group? And I told them I have 20, 20 people, 25 people, whatever it was. And they said, has anybody just joined your group within the last month? Mm -hmm. No, everything. And they said, where are you going? And I had to give them the itinerary, all the way, you know, all the way around, gave them all my itinerary. And I said, and then they said, oh, you're going to Jerusalem. And I said, yes. And they said, why are you going to Jerusalem? And I said, well, that's where Jesus was crucified. Um, who crucified him? That was the question that was asked. And I said, oh, he died for the sins of the world. He loved everybody. 
Um, I couldn't say Jews. Um, uh, and then they regrilled me again on the itinerary to see if I had it, had it over had it over again. Your cameras, you had to hold in front of your face and click it. I guess if they were thinking it was some kind of a weapon or some kind of a disguised gun or whatever. You had to click the thing right in front of your front of your face. Um, and again, it was a very dis- disconcerting thing um, at that you know at that time uh, in terms of seeing all these soldiers and military and marching the streets. But this is what it would have been like at Jesus' time as well. When Rome mm. occupied this land, there were Roman soldiers um, everywhere, and the Jews were under the thumb, under the thumb of Rome. That's what that's what they were. That's what they were like. That, that's what it was was like at that at that time for them. At the time of Jesus' birth, there was a man. I'm just going to bring him up because he'll he'll come up in a, in. Um, another another lesson. Herod the Great. We begin. You'll begin to hear about um, him. Um, Herod was Herod was the the king of the king of Israel. Um, not a Roman. Um, not a <clears throat> not really a Jew. He was there under the um, auspices of Rome. He probably paid money to become. The, the 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 king of, of Israel, Herod. Um, I don't know how to. I don't know even how to give a flavor of, of of the kind of person he was. He had numerous wives, numerous kids. If ever he had he had sons, and if he ever got wind of the fact that they may be wanting to take over his position or role, he would have it. He would have the wife killed. He would have the. He would have his kids killed. He was just a horrendous, um, a horrendous individual. Um, he, he, but he is he is known for massive, massive. Um, I don't know which way to go. He he's, he was known for massive building programs um, in you know in Israel. He built he built um, amphitheaters. He um, he rebuilt Jerusalem. I mean he. He made it a, a beautiful, beautiful city. Built the temple for the Jews to um, to win their to win their favor. Um, again, massive, massive. I would building. say his cooperation or whatever. He was a puppet. Yeah. Partner, but his cooperation with the Romans got access to their engineering skills and their money to build all this, including yeah. the temple. Yeah, and it, it was you know unbelievable that you know. And all that's, again, this is just an aside, if you have been there, all that's left of Herod's temple is, is those big stones. The wet, what's, there's the Wailing Wall. You, when you go, when you see the Jews pray at the Wailing Wall, that's, that's all that's left. But massive programs. Um, he built fortresses all throughout, um, throughout Israel. The most, one of the most famous ones is the one at, at Masada. Um, and these fortresses were not to defend Israel, but were places where he could escape to if he was ever under, you know, under a, under attack. 
Um, this one is down by the by the dead by the Dead Sea, and it was a magnificent place with with swimming pools and um, mosaics and and to give you an idea of uh, we were there with a guide. Her name was Yael, a Jewish a Jewish guide, and she said to give you an idea of the kind of person that that Herod was. He 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 built his his living quarters and residence is here, and he would there would be the garbage dump, and then he would build the guest the guest rooms over here downwind from the garbage, so that that the place would stink up, so that the guests wouldn't stay long, um, that they would that they would want to that they would want to leave. He was a you know horrendous, a horrendous person and a horrendous individual, and again in a couple of couple of weeks. You can understand perhaps why um, the you know the slaughter of the innocents in Bethlehem is his his um, his rule would have uh, um, been been questioned. The very bottom of this page it says, as Herod's death neared, he feared that no one would mourn him, and you can understand why um, because of the horrendous person he was. To ensure that tears would flow when he died. He had notable Jews from all parts of the land shut up in the Jerusalem Hippodrome, and that upon his death they were to be executed, so that the nation would be sure to mourn. Unfortunate, or fortunately, Herod's orders were not carried out, and upon, um, upon Herod's death, Emperor Augustus supposedly commented, it's better to be Herod's pig than his son. Um, so that was the kind of person he, you know, the kind of person he was. So to give you an understanding then of um, what the feeling was in, in Israel at this time, at the time of Jesus' birth, these people, were, these people were oppressed. And if you take tradition, the traditional understanding, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, there's a there's a down there's a, a gap in time of, of 400 years from the end of Malachi to the beginning of the Gospel of, of Matthew, where God isn't heard from. God isn't heard from. There's no prophets. There's no, as far as we know, there's no interaction between the people and God. And during those 400 years, these people are are oppressed by by the Persians, by the Greeks, by the Romans. Um, life was horrible for them. And it's, it's in that political situation that we'll be, we'll be seeing the, the Christmas story uh, next week. Mm-hmm. So it's no wonder then that the cry continued to go up, Oh Lord, when will you complete our new exodus? When will you rescue us from our oppressors? You promised that David and his descendants would rule over us forever. When will you restore the Davidic dynasty? And so that was the political situation. What was the, the theological situation at that time? I don't know which way I have to go. I think I go this way. Ah. What I, want to, what I want to say is that there are, 
going to say scholars, people say that there's like about 400 messianic prophecies in the Old, in the Old Testament. Phil, I don't know about you, but I didn't understand all of them. Um, and I'm not sure, and, and I'm quite sure that the people didn't understand all of them. I think we have the privilege or the, the benefit of being able to look back at some of these things that the prophets that the prophets said and and all from this side of the from this side of the cross and we can see um, you know we can see perhaps where this would be messianic. The people had all kinds of different ideas, and I, and I, again I will say um, when you look at some of the some of the prophecies you can understand where where they're getting some of these different ideas, but there were all kinds of different understandings as to, as to what it would be like when this Messiah would, when this Messiah would come. Um, and, and perhaps we can think about that even within the Christian church. We have the Bible, and yet there's, we all have the same Bible, but boy, different denominations have all kinds of different ideas about what this book is about and, and what its purpose is. And that was no different at the time of um, at the time of Jesus's birth. There was one one common thread was that when the messianic age came, when the Messiah came, um, Jerusalem would be the center, and the Jerusalem temple would be the center of, of worship. And there would be you know the lion would lie down with the lamb. There would be there would be harmony and peace and security and. The, the crops would flourish and everything. It would be another Garden of Eden. It would be, that's what it would be like when the Messianic age, what the, what the Messianic age would be, be like. There was that, there was that thought and, and, um, and understanding. There was also the understanding that perhaps the Messiah would be another King David. And I think that might have been one of the more, the, one of the more prevalent um, ideas that that a king like David would come once again and make Israel great again. <laughs> um, remember, again, under King David, everything was wonderful. Everything was glorious. David conquered all the enemies. Um, things were good. Things were wonderful. And when another David king comes, he will get rid of Rome and every, everything will be one, everything will be wonderful again. Um, the uh, Old Testament lesson that was read in church today about, you know, the camels coming and everybody, everybody kowtowing to, to Israel would be so, would be so wonderful, be so wonderful. And so that was a, that was a, a prevalent, a very prevalent um, view. There were, there were, did I screw this up again? Other way. Yeah, Other way. Two slides. Yeah. Okay. I did this a whole bunch of times. <laughs> the little arrow on the right. The right. This, this one straight across. No, just like that. Should do it. Sure it does. <laughs> <laughs> You broke your finger. <laughs> yeah, see, that's not what I want. Keep going. One more. Uh, Sorry. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway. Such eye candy. What did we do before? We have a keyboard that does it. Previous. Yeah, very good. Okay. <laughs> It's a beta test. It's not ready for the front time. That's the IT guy. The IT guy. Can't wait until our card is on this kind of reliability. Oh, okay. Um, so there was, you know, there was that idea that there would be another King David who would make Israel great again. Um, there was some who, there was some who thought that the situation was so bad that the only way that things would get straightened out is if. God himself, and there, are, and there are passages in the scripture that give that indication that God himself has to come down. And that was the only way that things could be, could be straightened out. There was some people thought, thought that. That's what this messianic age would involve. There were others who thought in terms of it being sometime a, some, some kind of a, 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 a God ruler type person, a combination of, 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 the, of the two. But there were just all kinds of different ideas in terms of, of what the messianic age would be like and what the Messiah would be like and, and how God would and how God would would accomplish this. There was no there was no common um, understanding as to as as to what that uh, as to what that Messiah would be like. Um, I, on that on that that sheet, let me just. And I have the, the, the four or three or four different things. There was also the question of um, what would be the role of the Gentiles um, in, in Israel when this messianic age came. Were the, were the Gentiles going to be included in this or, or, or weren't they? There were differing views of that. And we saw that with the, with the disciples. You know, Peter had to be hit over the head to get the understanding that, that God loved the Gentiles and, and that the message was for them, you know, as well. Even if, even even Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, or, and God so loved the world. But the Jews, uh, we don't know. Are the Gentiles part of this whole thing? Was that, um, was that part of our mission, too? It was so, I guess what I want to say is, there was lots of confusion in terms of what this Messiah would be, what this Messiah would be like. Um, kind of a perfect understanding of, of this is in the book of Mark, and I, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful book, um, Mark's Gospel, and I think he highlights this. What you see in Mark's Gospel in, in the first eight chapters, you have Jesus you know, healing, the, you know, healing the sick and giving sight to the blind and, and raising the dead and stilling the storm, showing his power over nature, forgiving sins. Jesus did this for three, you know, two years in his ministry. And then finally Jesus gets his disciples together and says, okay, disciples, people have seen me do this, 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 and this. Who do people say that I am? And the, and the people and the disciples say, oh, the people think you're another prophet, da, da, da. And then finally Jesus asks that, you know, wonderful telling question. Okay, Peter, who do you say that I am? Have you gotten the message? You've been with me and seen me do these things for three years. And finally Peter makes that wonderful confession, you are the Christ, you are the, you are the Messiah. And then he blows it in the next 
chapter, but we'll see that in a, we'll see that in a, in a, in a minute. Um, and, and, then there's the, and then there's the account of um, John the Baptist. I think in Matthew 11, I'll read it. Um, it says, chapter, in chapter 11, After Jesus had finished instructing the twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in Galilee. When John heard in prison what Jesus was doing, what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to him. And they said, ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news was preached to the poor. Um, those were the signs the Old Testament said. You will know the Messiah is here when you see these things, you know, happening. And those were the signs that um, in Jesus, indeed, Jesus was, you know, was the Messiah. And, you know, again, I just then to reiterate, there was not a clear understanding in terms of what this Messianic age was like. Obvious from the fact that um, Jesus was crucified. Um, he wasn't the kind of Messiah that they were expecting. Um, Palm Sunday, their, their, you know, the Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna was save us. We're under the thumb of Rome, save us. We, we're acknowledged, we want you to be the, you know, the, the, the another King David just before Jesus ascends into heaven. Will you now at this time restore the kingdom of heaven? Or the, you know, the kingdom? Again, expecting perhaps a different kind of you know, of Messiah. I always took comfort in that, that I would teach confirmation class for two years, and at the end of the two years, did my kids understand anything that I had taught them? Uh, and I think, well, Jesus had these disciples for three years, and they didn't understand either, so... Right. I, you know, um, they were with Jesus. Huh? Yeah, so... But, but anyway, so that there wasn't a common, you know, a common thread. You know, even, for example, after Peter made that, as I said, Peter makes that marvelous confession, you are the Christ, and then Jesus says, well, now I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer and die. And Peter says, no way, that's not what's supposed to happen. That's not the kind of Messiah that I expected. The people didn't expect a Messiah who washed feet, who became the servant. You know, that was, the expectations were, the expectations were different. So I guess what I so just to leave it all you know like that. This is the this is the the political situation. This is the theological situation into which Jesus is born. I think at the time Jesus is born, I think very 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 few people expected the kind of the kind of Messiah that Jesus was. Maybe Mary did. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure that now maybe um, Simeon and Anna did. Um, now let thy servant depart in peace. My eyes have seen thy salvation. Maybe they understood. I'm not. You know, I'm not sure um, how how well people under people understood at that point in time. Um, uh, somebody has said basically Israel at this time. You know, he started with Abraham, and the nation of Israel grew, but then Israel, by the time Christ came, was down to one, Jesus. He was the new Israel. Um, 
And then from that point on, it goes out again. Israel doing what God wanted Israel to do. Um, go into all the world and teach and preach and bring people into a relationship with me. And that's the role of the church, as we say every Sunday, that all may know God's, you know, God's love through Jesus. So, again, that's, I'm just laying, this is just the foundation. Next week, we will blow all of your um, understanding about what the real Christmas story was all about. And it didn't take place on December 23rd. <laughs> Mary probably didn't travel on a donkey. The wise men weren't there in the crash. He wasn't probably born in a stable or a cave. <laughs> I know it will blow all those. We'll blow all of that, all of those little stories. Did the angels sing to the shepherds? No, they probably didn't. You think they did? No, he says, says they, they said. said. They right. Said, yes, they said. But anyway. <laughs> Jesus was probably born in September. Labor <laughs> <laughs> Day. Huh? So, and, so and, 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 and the whole idea about an inn and all that stuff. We'll, so next week we'll talk about all we'll, we'll go through the whole the whole Christmas story and, and talk about that. So are you going to be dressed in black? <laughs> somebody said, I'll bring in my crash and you can tell me everything that's wrong. Everything that's wrong. So, um, and, you know, and as I said, the, the, the Christmas event was not a biggie for the early church. I mean, Easter was the, Easter was the celebration. Um, I think Christmas only began what being celebrated, what, in three well, obviously Matthew, Matthew and Luke has stuff there about it, but that way it wasn't a, a great big a, a um, Easter and Pentecost and Ascension Day. I mean, those were the biggies. Yeah, so. But we wouldn't have had Christmas pageants and stuff like that. Just any other thoughts? And then next week we'll do the the Christmas story. In, in real in real life, and go through that. Yeah, I got one, one thought about kind of what you're saying. You know, like how how and why was Jesus treated the way he was, and you know, it didn't meet their expectations. I think they had gone centuries of ignoring all the prophets who said, you know, you know, you got to shape up, or you're gonna get destroyed. You're gonna get, and so they got dispersed all over. They intermarried people with different customs. They had. You know, they built idols at high places and they refused to take them down. And I think they were in no mood, even if David, uh, a leader like David, came back. He was very devout and faithful. They would have rejected him because they, they were so used to centuries of doing the way we want to do it. And, you know, the rich got richer and you know, tried on the, the poor people. And they were just, I don't think anything would have satisfied them. So. Right. And, and again, if these were your expectations, you know, Jesus was anything but that. Oh, yeah. Because you know, he told them what they were doing wrong. He's like, no, 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 you can, right? that's not our Messiah. He wouldn't no. say that. <laughs> so. uh, all right, so next week, let's just close with prayer, man. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks that we know the love that you have for us through your Son. We thank you that you loved us enough that you did indeed send your Son into the world to be our Lord and to be our Savior. Help us also to be mindful of the role that we have as the new Israel. That we are to indeed be a light, that we are to be a salt, 
that we are to be a blessing to the nations of the world, so that all may know the love that you have for them through Jesus our Savior. We pray in his name. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and His people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.